is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. Welcome to Catholic Review Radio. My name is Father Brian Nolan, I'm a priest of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. The topic today is inspiring heroes in our backyard. We have John Singleton with us. John is a Mount St. Mary's alumni. He's an entrepreneur. He's author of a, a new book that just came out called The Meaning of Mount St. Mary's. And it's basically about how Mount St. Mary's is just has influenced both Catholic education and just inspiring people that have gone out and influenced our whole nation in the early years of the founding of our country. So special welcome to you, Day John. Father Brian, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. So this inspiration I saw is 13 chapters. It's story after story about people who inspire us in, a, in different ways. What inspired you to write this book? Well, it's really the unknown history of Mount St. Mary's. And just to tick off a couple of things, Mount St. Mary's is the mother of Catholic education in the United States. That that goes from the schools that Mother Seton started to the parochial system in New York, established under John Hughes, who was the Bishop of New York, who was a Mount St. Mary's graduate. Mount St. Mary's is the first Catholic college in the 50 states. That distinction was forfeited by Georgetown when it was redistricted to a federal territory in 1791, when there were only 14 American states. Mount St. Mary's is the first U.S. college named for the Mother of God. It's also the first U.S. college named for a woman. And some people say, John, what about William and Mary? And I say that's a college named for a man and a woman, and that's a totally different thing. So the Mount has many, many great distinctions. That's just a few of them that got me excited to write it. And the fact that a lot of history has happened in our backyard. I mean, for many people in the Archdiocese of Baltimore and those hearing, uh, like we can make pilgrimages to where these men and, and women live. Let's talk about a few of them. I know there's a lot of them. In this segment, I want to focus a little bit more specifically. Let's start with Father John Dubois. Tell me more about kind of a little bit of his backstory. And he's the founder of Mount St. Mary's, but tell me a little bit about his story and the significance. You know, John Dubois came out of revolutionary France. He grew up um, at a time when the, the Catholic king was under siege and there were forces out in the streets that were attempting to change the culture of France, which they ultimately did during the French Revolution. He went to a, a very good school, and one of his classmates and boyhood friends was the man who turned out to be the architect of the French Revolution, Maximilien Robespierre, and they were boyhood friends. When they grew up, and uh, Robespierre rocketed to fame and became this tyrannical leader who was beheading priests in the streets of Paris and hunting down nuns and anyone else who would defy his new secular government that he was rolling out. He one day ran into John Dubois on the streets of Paris. They renewed their friendship. And obviously, it, was, it had only been a few years. They were both still young men, actually. And he signed secretly the papers that would allow John Dubois to escape France and take a boat to America. So I often like to say that story with the, the protagonist, John Dubois, uh, the saintly protagonist and the diabolical antagonist, is a lot like Victor Hugo's Les Miserables, also a mm -hmm. French tale from French Revolutionary times. And mm -hmm. uh, we were talking before, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if Victor Hugo borrowed a couple of these stories of these two men to, to create his characters, Jean Valjean and Javert, for anyone who's a fan of that story. Mm -hmm. And tell me more about, so Father John Dubois, he started Mount St. Mary's College, but tell me more about significance of things in his life that's really significant and things that people know or don't, might not know. 
Yeah. So when he came to the U.S., he landed in Virginia. And you know he was an immigrant. He didn't speak much English, but he was greeted very warmly by the people of Protestant Richmond, and they had him actually say mass in the state house. So what a shock it is to this man who had just been chased from his country by secular forces to be welcomed in a land that was famous for not having you know having a separation of church and state. He was invited into the state house to say mass. He then went on to meet with James Monroe and Patrick Henry, two of America's founders, and he was educated firsthand on what American freedom was like and American religious liberty. And from there, he went on to start opening parishes without religious interference, which was shocking to him coming out of France, where mm-hmm. churches were being dechristened and burned down and and uh, turned into a state religion that his friend Robespierre had cooked up, which was a little bit strange. That's another story. But anyway, he then he then founded Mount St. Mary's. And uh, so after opening a bunch of parishes around the Frederick area, Frederick County, he went up into the mountains and formed Mount St. Mary's, which would be, like I said, the first Catholic college in the 50 states, the mother of Catholic education in the 50 states, responsible for, its priests were responsible for opening schools like University of Notre Dame in South Bend, Fordham, St. John's University in New York, Seton Hall, and many others. So the Mount is really mm-hmm. prolific in its in what its sons and daughters did, changed the course of American history and American Catholic education. Mm-hmm. John, can you speak to why Emmitsburg and why that specific area in Emmitsburg? What would, there's a, a great story that you were sharing with me. Yeah, I mean, I speculate in the book that, you know, Father Dubois was had grown up in Paris. He was a city boy, and things went spectacularly wrong there. I mean, it ended up being a, you know, a, a slaughterhouse. And he was very disenchanted with politicians and the political process in Europe. And when he came to the U.S., he was wary. He did meet those founding fathers, and they assured him of the U.S. Constitution and, and its sort of hands-off approach to religious liberty. However, he never wanted to go back to a city. I mean, he, he wanted to be far from the cities. And so to be up on a secluded mountain where he was far from, certainly at that time, very far from anywhere, a wilderness really is where he was. And he wanted to minister to mountain folk and folks in the hinterlands, and, and that's what he did. I think that's why I think Emmitsburg was the place that he, he founded his school. Was there some kind of supernatural thing that happened to him there, too? Well, yeah. So he was riding back from administering the sacraments up in the Pennsylvania area, northern Maryland, and he saw a light on the side of the mountain. And he was far from Frederick. It's a long horse ride from Emmitsburg to Frederick, and it was late. Mm-hmm. And he was hoping to find hospital lodging, and he went up on the mountain, you know, looking for the source of the light, hoping he could maybe stay on the floor or, or stay overnight and then wake up the next morning and head back. But what he found was nothing. And so he was up on the side of the mountain. It was late at night, and it was actually a nice night. It wasn't raining. And so he just camped out outside and woke up the next morning, and he found himself on the edge of a you know of a beautiful valley, which is St. Joseph's Valley, which we see today. And behind him, of course, was the mountain, and right behind him was a cave, um, the grotto, which we, is what we call it now. But So he had this, this cave behind him, and he took a pair of sticks, and he made a makeshift cross, and he affixed it to the hollow of this giant cave, which was at that time a giant oak tree. It was an arboreal cave. And at that moment, when he affixed the cross, he made up his mind, or the vision came to him that he would found a college for the mother of God, and that's what he did on that very spot. And so, yeah, the the light was supernatural. He followed the light. In the beginning, there is light. All those things were part of the story. I'd also say that it's interesting that 
it was a tree. The grotto was a tree because the Blessed Mother is also known as the tree of life. Her first, first fruits are Jesus Christ. So for the grotto to be made of a tree, and then later, you know, 60 years later, it's moved in the, you know, in the mid-1800s, it's moved to a different part of the grounds, and a, a man-made cave of stone is made. And by that time, of course, Lourdes was very famous. The miracles at Lourdes in France became very famous. And so we named, named ourselves, we, we called ourselves a replica of the Lord's miraculous grotto, but over time we've seen that the Mount's grotto is also miraculous. So we're mm-hmm. not just named after a, another place that's famous. We are famous in our in ourselves as we look at our history more and more, which we attempt to do in the book and as we are doing in our conversation. You'll see that the Mount isn't second fiddle to to another shrine somewhere else it is in itself a miraculous place and that's what we're you know that's what we're talking about and that's obviously where elizabeth van seton i know the seton shrine just dedicated their new museum uh recently and i highly encourage people to come up both to mount st mary's the grotto of our lady of lords and also of the seton shrine what a great gift can you speak to bishop james walsh so here was this early founder, I think one of the early Marianol missionaries, is that right? Tell me a little about his story. So James Walsh went to the Mount as an undergraduate, not a seminarian, and he was from Cumberland. He was from an Irish family and was his, his father and his grandfather both went to the Mount. So it was a long, a long lineage of Mount folks in his family. And what he did after he graduated, he joined the Marianol Order and was among the first missionaries to China. Okay. And he probably was the most famous missionary of the 20th century because he was in the middle of, sort of what we're in the middle of now, even he was in the middle of a revolutionary time in China when China became a communist country. And he was then imprisoned for, oh, I'm going to say 10, 15 years mm-hmm. and eventually was freed because he would not break, he would not um, admit to being for the Vatican or the United States. He was accused of all kinds of things by the communist government. And of course, like John Dubois, he was very devoted to the, to the Blessed Mother and was, he wrote books on the Blessed Mother while he was imprisoned. He employed the, the Blessed Mother when he was in China, familiarizing people with the Catholic faith and, and winning many converts to that. And I think we're seeing the fruits of that in, in China today. Some of it is unrecognized, but there is a very big, big underground church there and Catholic presence there and Christian presence and it's growing and growing. So what he's done is still echoing to today, and he is known as the greatest missionary of the 20th century, and there's way more to his story than that little tidbit we talked about. <laughs> and, and reading about his story in, in, in the book, and like when he, he planted seeds that, like you said, are bearing fruit in many, many different ways. Well, well this is just the beginning. We're, we're blessed to have John Singleton here. We're talking about inspiring heroes in our backyard, about John Singleton's book, The Meaning of Mount St. Mary's. So in our next segment, we're going to talk a little bit more about Blessed Stanley Rother, who's a recent blessed, and Monsignor Hugh Phillips. So we'll be back in a brief moment. I'm Father Brian Nolan for Catholic Review Radio. Archdiocese of Baltimore makes the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. 
For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org accountability. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Lynn Elks made a point of wearing a Star of David around her neck during an interfaith prayer gathering outside Alumni Memorial Chapel at Loyola University, Maryland in Baltimore, October 11th. Standing beside a white peace pole inscribed with May Peace Prevail on Earth in multiple languages, the teaching assistant professor of economics was among more than 50 administrators, faculty members, and students who prayed for peace four days after Hamas invaded Israel. As of October 12th, militants killed 1,200 people in Israel and took many hostages. Retaliatory action by Israel has claimed the lives of more than 1,100 people in Gaza. Many others have been injured on both sides. Quote, I think I have a duty to be honest both with myself and with everyone that I encounter on this lovely campus that I am here representing my people and the calamity that has befallen them and the world, end quote. Elks told the Catholic Review following a service that included Christian, Jewish, and Muslim prayers. Elks's boyfriend shares her Jewish faith and is an Israeli citizen with family in the war-torn nation. He was recently in the country, she said, returning just before the recent bloodshed. Catholics throughout the Archdiocese of Baltimore are praying for an end to the conflict in Israel and Palestine. Prayers have been offered during the general intercessions at Mass in many parishes, and some faith communities have posted messages on social media calling for peace. For more on this and other stories, visit catholicreview.org. For Catholic Review Media, I'm Kevin Parks. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Welcome back to Catholic Review Radio. My name is Father Brian Nolan, a priest of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are blessed today. Our topic today is inspiring heroes in our backyard. We have John Singleton with us. John just recently published a book, The Mean of Mount St. Mary's. It's available up at Mount St. Mary's in, in bookstore, and it really makes the case of the significant influence that happened in our backyard. There's 13 chapters of a lot of different names in our first segment. We talked about Father John Dubois, who should be better and more widely known, and, and his connection that he had with Elizabeth Van Seton. We talked about Bishop James Walsh, who really is this uh, missionary to China and planted the seeds there. And that, again, He's a college student who's uh, educated at Mount St. Mary's. This segment we're going to focus a little bit more. We're going to start with talking about Blessed Stanley Rother. John, can you speak to a little bit about his significance and what is significance to Mount St. Mary's? Yeah, love, and we're excited about the Rother House that's going up in Emmitsburg and there's a big you know effort going on at the Mount. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Stanley Rother. He was a strong, silent type. He was kicked out of the first seminary he attended, which was in Texas, in San Antonio, where he spent more time, I think, with the grounds crew. He loved the outdoors, and you know, mm-hmm. he, he was cutting terraces and shoveling manure, and he didn't really like cracking books. He was uh, you know, not, not a talker. He was a doer. And you know, there's, there's a few stories of him at Mount St. Mary's that I think are really interesting in the book that are not widely known. The famous story of the seminarian Stanley Roth, or trimming up a high branch from a grotto tree. That story has more to it. After climbing to the highest rung and stumbling on a beehive, Whoa. he didn't. Yeah, he didn't clamber down the ladder. He slid down the trunk, hugging the oak uh, tree with both arms. Okay, hmm. and he was a farm boy. He grew up in the, the Midwest, so he was a tough, a tough guy. He, he was a guy who was used to working outside and and you know wasn't easily you know scared. But but at the bottom, he jumped in a mud bank to avoid the, the angry beehive. He knew how to to avoid that. But what happened is he never uttered a word about his badly burned 
forearms. And only his friends who were there with him remember that gruesome sight of the, the skin just eviscerated off of his off of his arms and he never talked about it never said a word about it and you know to a saint a a painful physical ailment is a protection against being proud and and that kind of strength through infirmity is something or strength by way of weakness is something that he would take with him his whole life even to his heroic end in guatemala Um, but he was also famous for his mechanical inclination he set up a fix-it shop in the basement of the seminary he would repair watches and clocks for his fellow seminarians (laughs) for a price he actually he actually got paid for it so he was he was he was a bit of an entrepreneur um he also made leather covers for missiles and bibles for anyone who wanted them so Hmm. he cut it cutting and stitching the leather himself so can you imagine if we could recover one of those holy relics the other thing he did is he loved to play football on Echo Field, two-hand touch with his fellow seminarians, and he didn't play a skill position. He wasn't a flashy guy. He was a blocker. So when he turned Mm -hmm. up field on a power sweep, bodies would scatter. He was a high school athlete, and he was kind of competitive, and he flattened plenty of his fellow Sems. He was just a competitive guy, and you didn't want to get in his way. But he was humble. He wasn't pretentious, not a talker, not fighting for the intellectual or spiritual high ground. But I think this is indicative of men who come from Mary's Mountain like you, Father Brian, and, you know, they're they're laboring in the presence of a fair lady, right? And they that makes the man more himself. So uh, mm-hmm. he was one of those men, and I think he's, you know, one of our greatest heroes at the Mount. Which is fascinating because here he went, he was from Tulsa, Oklahoma. He went to Mount St. Mary's after getting failed out of this other seminary. And he really wasn't, he wasn't an academic, or, and he really struggled with, with languages. And yet here he's doing missionary work, and he learns another language, even translate the Bible into the local language. Talk about God taking someone's weakness and bringing it a great strength that he labored in that way to bring the gospel in their own particular language. I mean, that's heroic him and several others did. Yeah, uh, I think I'm, his intellect was, was sharpened over the years, for sure. Mm-hmm. Not easy. And remember, he's, he's on his way to being a saint, we think, and he's already the first American-born martyr. So he's mm-hmm. very famous in the church and at Mount St. Mary. So this is, this is a guy who, and when he was martyred when he was killed. I mean, he went down in a fist fight. So when I'm talking about, it, he's he's a tough guy, and he, you know, he, he played sports and all this stuff. But he was a tough guy till the end. I mean, he was assassinated by two or three assassins who broke into the the rectory, and there was a huge brawl that ensued, and only ended when they shot him and killed him. And, That's because um, he said they, he said I won't let him take me alive. <laughs> well, let him take me alive, and he and he and he wouldn't allow them to. He freed a hostage while the fight was going on. He wouldn't allow them to, mm-hmm. you know, get get any further into the encampment there where other people were living. You know, in, the indigenous people of Guatemala. So he was a very heroic man, and you know, just a, an incredible story. And that that chapter is a really good one in the book. And I love the stories of how, literally, I think he was teaching them farming techniques. He was fixing up trucks. The, the poor would eat, would come in the rectory and eat with them. This guy who had known for the smells of him and, and an older guy and, and had poor hygiene, and yet he would have lunch with them every day. And, and he just, he cared for people. Talk about one, he not only defended people on a football field, he was a defender of the poor and just the yeah. love for the people there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. was incredible. And of course, the poor were, were very mistreated there in Guatemala. And I think used very much by I think people who were trying to get at the precious minerals and the and the precious resources that were there in that country and the, the government that was also you know not treating the indigenous people very well so they, they and the church was kind of in that in between place too not really wanted so yeah it was it was a David and Goliath story for sure can you speak to the story he was, so his name was on the hit list 
and then he he wasn't going to keep himself in danger. He he said if it gets too too dangerous, he was going to step away from the country. Can you talk about the story of him coming back to the mount before going back? Yeah, so he so he had you know a, a very strong group of benefactors that supported him while he was in Guatemala, and at one point it got so bad he was on he was on a government hit list. They they wanted to kill him because he was educating and, and he's open like you said hospitals, radio stations, all kinds of things to to help the people of of Guatemala. And so they, his benefactors kind of demanded that he come back to the U.S. They wanted him to be safe and, and not to be killed. And he did, but he was heart sick. I mean, he was just, he, he couldn't live with himself. And he stayed for a few months. Actually, I think his last stop before he went back to Guatemala was at to Mount St. Mary's, where he visited with some of his former teachers. And of course, he went up to the grotto and prayed. And that gave him the, the courage to go back to Guatemala and meet his fate. I think uh, right around the Easter season was when he was killed. Yeah, so I think the Mount and Mary always gave him a lot of courage and to, to do what he needed to do. And some people thought he wasn't very bright but for going back. But I think that, as you pointed out, he was a pretty sharp guy. He just didn't like sitting in a classroom. <laughs> you know, he didn't mind <laughs> translating funny, yeah. a book, right? He didn't mind translating a, uh, the Bible into Tutsuli, I think how you say it, and Spanish. I think he was trilingual. You know, by the time he'd lived in Guatemala for a while, yeah. I mean, this was a guy who just learned outside of the classroom, right? He, I heard he yeah, pulled teeth, right. he, he, he fixed wow. engines, he plowed fields. I mean, he did everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a one man. You know, he knew he knew plumbing. He, he just knew everything. So mm-hmm. he was a uh, he was just not an in classroom learner. I would say maybe maybe a lot <laughs> of us are like that. The mountain, I could be. And I always love the image that the mountain is a good place is a place to discern. Like you can go up and make a pilgrimage. Like, what is the Lord asking of me? Be inspired by Blessed Stanley Rother to say, I'm going to go pray and ask the Lord what he's asking me at the Mount, at the Grotto. <laughs> Finally, let's talk briefly about Monsignor Hugh Phillips, an orphan son of Mount St. Mary's. Talk a little about his story. Okay, let's start at the beginning. He was five years old when his, I think his dad died right after he was born. His mother died when he was five. He came to the Mount when he was 12 as an orphan. He held probably every position at the Mount that there was to hold, including, you know, librarian, president, professor, and, and everything in between. The really interesting thing, if I can kind of jump to a, to, to a different spot in his story, is what he did is he took the grotto, in my mind, he reimagined the grotto, which was founded by John Dubois in this garden paradise, right, like Eden. And he he reimagined it when he put up the Golden Mary, right? He's the one who did that in 1964. Mm-hmm. And what mm-hmm. he did was he united Genesis with Revelation. He took the first book in the Old Testament and the last book in the New Testament, and he brought them together on this mountaintop in Maryland. This was, to me, an incredible an incredible storytelling ability that Monsignor Phillips had to do this, mm-hmm. right? Because the, the, the Golden Woman on the mountain is the image of the Our Lady of the Apocalypse, the woman of Revelation 12, right, who is confronted by the dragon at the end of time and who rebukes the dragon. And this is why I like to say over and over in the book that Mary is a dragon slayer. But he unites that with the picture of Genesis 3.15, where it says that she will crush the serpent's head. It's a foretelling, it's a prophecy of what will happen at the very last book of the Bible. 
right, where Mary vanquishes this dragon. So, you know, at the beginning, it's a snake. At the end, it's a dragon. Evil is growing from, the, from Genesis to Revelation. You know, it's a cosmic dragon. It's as big as this. It sweeps a third of the, uh, the stars from the sky, its tail. So this is, a, this is just an incredible storytelling capability that this man had. He did it without words. And when you, you know, and like you said, when you go to the grotto and you contemplate and you pray and you think and you, you know, and you start to put those pieces together, which I did not do when I was a college student, I was far from understanding those kinds of things. But as I got older, I came to understand that and said, my gosh, I have such admiration for this guy, Hugh Phillips, who I got to meet. Um, he was actually on campus when I was around and, and he was just a really kind, gentle, sweet man. I know he was an excellent president and I know he was a good fundraiser because, what he did at the grotto was just astounding. And, and, and the fact that someone has vision to say, I'm going to put what is a 20 some foot statue of the blessed Virgin Mary over the mountain that all can see it. And, and he really laid the foundation for so many people visiting the grotto now and, and a place of prayer and the number of miracles that happen. And even through his prayers and he would tell stories of just the different healings and miracles that would happen that, that, that would just happen time and time again. He, he's been such a, a gift. Yes. Yeah, there's many stories like that about Hugh Phillips. Mm-hmm. Well, we are so blessed, John. Thanks for coming in. John Singleton is the, the author of The Meaning of Mount St. Mary's. It's available at the bookstore at Mount St. Mary's University. And what a great gift to, to be inspired by heroes in our backyard, uh, Catholic heroes in our backyard. The more we know history, whether it's John Dubois or James Walsh, Stanley Rother, Hugh Phillips, all these other, and many others that are in this book. So I hope those who are interested consider purchasing the book and just be inspired, be inspired. So we're inspired by you, John, for taking that initiative to inspire others. Thank you for joining oh, thanks us. Thanks for having me, Father Brian. Totally enjoyed mm-hmm. it. Wonderful. I'm Father Brian Nolan for Catholic Review Radio. May God bless you. Remember the spirit of your parish community, the power of worshiping together, the warmth of friends new and old who share your faith. Join us for Mass this weekend. Visit archbelt.org to find a Catholic parish near you. Feel the joy. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. 
May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.